This is episode 577 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, Investing for Preppers, 12 Things That Won't Lose Value in a Crisis. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, let's go ahead and jump into our article of the podcast. It comes to us from AskAPrepper.com, and again, the title is Investing for Preppers, 12 Things That Won't Lose Value in a Crisis. So let's go ahead and jump in, and I'll give some commentary as we go along. One of the most forgotten areas of prepping is financial preparedness. It's as if we all think that whenever the brown stuff hits the air movement device, all debt and other financial concerns will disappear. While that might be true in a few situations like an EMP, it's not something we can count on. We're just as likely to be faced with a scenario which causes us all to lose our incomes while still being stuck with the mortgage on our homes and the loans on our cars. Now, planning our finances as preppers can be challenging. We are faced with the problem of planning for the same things our non-prepping friends and neighbors do, while also planning for any number of possible disasters. So we have to have a plan for retirement, a plan for surviving a short-term disaster, and a plan for surviving a Tiatwaki event. This makes investing a real challenge. The things most people invest in, like stocks and money market accounts, can't be relied on in a post-disaster world. For that matter, trusting in them in a normal world is a bit dicey, as the stock markets can always crash. But that doesn't eliminate the need for investing, just like everyone else in the world. We need to have our investments in order, both for the good times and for the bad. So this really means investing in such a way as to protect ourselves in the event of a disaster. If we do that, then our investments should carry us through the good times as well. What we need, in addition to our stockpile of supplies, are things that we can invest in, which won't lose their value even in a post-disaster world. May I suggest the following? All right, guys, so let's go ahead and look at these 12 things. The first one is gold and silver. Now, this one is obvious. Perhaps the most classic investment of all time is precious metals, specifically gold and silver. During times of financial crisis, these metals always increase in value, even when everything else is dropping in value. In addition, precious metals are what people are likely to return to when needing some sort of money to trade with. So as long as you have them, you can do business. In this regard, silver is actually better than gold as its value is less. So when it comes time to barter, you're not dealing with a one ounce gold coin, which has a huge value. That might be useful when trying to make a major purchase, but not when trying to buy food. All right, so let me go ahead and touch on this very quickly. Gold and silver, that's one of the things that always comes up in preparedness. Actually, I have used to see more on this than I have lately, but and that could be because the economy and people don't have money to spend or, or whatever that might be, but I used to see a lot more articles on you know, saving or buying gold and silver and stacking it and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, let me just talk very briefly. So of the two, 
Silver is a better value for your money because, and that's not because it's just, it doesn't cost as much. It's because the cost of getting silver out of the ground is more than getting gold out of the ground. And so silver actually has, and so you're not paying that premium price. Silver actually has a lot of value kind of in there that you can, that it can make up. So it has more more, I guess, a percentage of value of price that can actually go up to meet what is actually what it actually costs to come out of the ground. So you can buy some, you know, silver and if things went down and things went crazy, right? We had an economic collapse and metal went through the roof, gold and silver. Gold would of course go up, but silver would go up at a higher percentage, if that makes sense. I know it's kind of, you know, you're listening to this, you know, in a audible form. And so it, hopefully that makes sense to you. Silver has a, a bigger chance of gaining more value, uh, you know, just because of the cost of coming out of the ground and different things like that. So it is very true. You want to have some silver to be able to purchase things if we were in that kind of scenario, right? A lot of the times our apocalyptic fiction that we read, eventually at some point people start getting to, uh, you know, trading with silver and all those types of things. So you have a couple of different options. First, you have what people call junk silver, and you can easily buy that off of eBay or you can go to a silver you know, or a metals uh, seller, reseller uh, in, in your town and you can go. And my experience with that is if you go, you're like, I want to buy, I don't know, $50 worth of silver or whatever, you know, and they, you can say junk silver or whatever, and, and they will bring out different denominations. Do you want them in dimes? Do you want them in quarters, right? So pre-1965 silver, and you can you can get that. That's junk silver, and people will you know will understand. We'll get to a point. Not everybody understands that preppers understand the silver and pre nineteen sixty five and all that kind of stuff. But eventually, people will start figuring that out. If we ever got to that point where we needed to start trading with that, the other thing is people would say you can get junk silver or get a coin that everyone is going to recognize. So like uh, an American silver eagle. Everyone, uh, you know, rec recognizes that one. So that is one that's for sure that you can get. Now, you're going to pay a bigger premium for that American Silver Eagle. You're going to pay a little bit extra on top of the cost of silver because of that. But everybody recognizes that. Now, the downside to silver is that it's very heavy. So you take $500 worth of gold and $500 worth of silver, and you are carrying uh, you know, you know, some weight there. And there's a big, big difference. So if you are in a situation where you have to leave your home or you have to leave your location and you're taking your precious metals with you, if you have a lot of silver, Man, that's going to weigh you down and you have to carry it with you. You're probably not going to take everything with you. There's just no way. Now, on the other hand, if you had gold, that would be different, right? So I remember years ago, I think it was Chris Martinson who wrote an article talking about how with all the revolutions and things that Europe had, how did the rich people stay, you know, keep their wealth? And there was three major ways First, it was the land. They always kept the deed to the land. So whenever there was a revolution and they would hightail it, 
they would always have their deed. So when things quieted back down, they could come back and say, hey, this is my land. Here's the deed. This is mine. The other thing is they had money in gold because it was a lot lighter and they could travel, you know, they, they could carry more of it. And then the other thing was things like paintings, you know, precious paintings and things that were very expensive. They could cut out the paint, the painting or take out the frame, take it out of the frame and roll it up and take it with them. And that had a lot of value back back then and still does today. Right. So that was one of the ways that they kept their wealth and, and they put their wealth into those tangible goods. So if you are looking for, to buy some gold and silver, you, there's always places that you can buy locally and you can go that route. If you're looking online, JM Bullion was always pretty good. They had free, um, they were, they were an advertiser in back in the day and they always had free delivery, right? So they didn't charge you for, um, for shipping and stuff like that. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And so when you're talking about metals, precious metals, the shipping costs can be pretty expensive. So that's something that you always need to consider. And uh, also, you know, one of the things that you do when you click on there, depending on how you pay, it could mean the difference in how much you get the silver for. I know that's the case in JM Bullion when I've looked at that website is if you pay with a check, you get so much, you know, it's so much. If you pay with PayPal, it costs so much with Bitcoin. So, you know, they have all those different things that you need to take into consideration. All right. So enough of that one. Let's go ahead and go on to the next one. It's land. Now, when I'm talking about land here, I'm not talking about in the typical way of investing in land. What I'm referring to the land your home is sitting on or land that you are using for your homestead. One of the best investments you can make, especially for surviving a financial collapse, is ensuring that you own your home. That way, it can't be taken away from you. Now, granted, it is hard to pay off your home and the land it sits on, but if you will make an additional payment of, say, $100 each month, that money will go directly towards the principal on the loan, not the interest. I don't have the exact figures at hand, but check it out. That could cut your 30-year mortgage down to 15 years or so. All right, so let me, I don't agree with this one statement here. Uh, if you own your home, you know, they can't take it away from you. So not necessarily. If you, like for instance, my parents own their home, right? They don't pay any kind of mortgage whatsoever. But if they stop paying taxes, the government would come after them. So just because you don't owe anything on your land doesn't mean that they can't take it away from you. And so you just need to know that nothing is completely yours. There could be a, uh, a dictator can roll into your town you know, during the zombie apocalypse and declare that all the land is his no matter what. And he might like your home because your home is his favorite color and he takes it from you and there's nothing you can do about it, right? So you always have that aspect. Now, I understand he's talking about an economic collapse and if times get hard and things like that, Definitely paying taxes is not going to be uh, as heavy on you financially as paying a mortgage, right? And all that kind of stuff. So I understand that, but I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Now, hopefully you have, if you do own your home, you did um, you did do a refinance years ago because, you know, years ago you could get a great rate. You could lock in a fixed rate. And I know that we did that. We had a 30 year loan. We, we did a fixed 15 year loan and it knocked off a ton of money off the overall 
percent or the overall amount of money that we were going to spend on the loan. And so it makes a big difference. So spending a little bit extra, if you can do that every month, that would make a big difference as well. I don't know if it knocks it down 15 years. I've never done that kind of math before, but it, it does help, right? So definitely that is something to consider and something to think about. All right, so next up, let's look at food. As preppers, we're already stockpiling food, but we need to realize that our food is an investment too. Even in normal times, the cost of food is rising faster than the inflation rate. So that food will increase in value faster than a savings account. Of course, in a time of crisis, it will be invaluable. All right, not a lot there, but very important. And I think everyone understands that, especially if you shop for your family and you go to the grocery store, you know that over the years, your money that you've been spending on food hasn't been, is not buying you as much as it used to be. And then you throw on top of that, if you, you know, I mentioned John Haller's prophecy update, I mention it all the time, and he touched on it this uh, last Sunday, is, you know, all the flooding that happened up north and then the weird weather that they're having, they've kind of missed the time where they were supposed to plant, uh, you know, plant seed, put seed into the ground. And so there's going to be some costs and you're not hearing about that in the media. Sometimes you wonder, you know, are they just purposely not mentioning these types of things because you're just not really hearing it. And I'm not really hearing it in alternative media as well. I'm, I'm hearing it like, again, John Haller. And that's why I talk about when you listen to those prophecy updates, even if you're not a religious person or you're coming from a Christian perspective, you still get news that you might not hear other places because I'm looking at alternative news all the time. So you have all the, the thing up there that you know, the farmers didn't get a lot of crops into the ground like normal. They kind of missed a date or they're bumping right up against the date. And then we, we're continuing to have all this weird weather. The other side of that is there is an account that a lot of the, the cattle was killed in the flooding up north. And so you have a lot of the cattle that was uh, that was killed or, you know, that died in the flood. And so you're going to have beef prices going up. You're going to have uh, vegetables and corn and all that food prices just going up. And then not too long ago, if you remember, I mentioned that there was in China, there was, they were having issues with pigs and pig farms and, and swine flu and all that kind of stuff. And they eat and consume a lot of pigs over there, right? And so you have that aspect of the whole global you know, pig market. So your bacon is going to start costing more, right? And so all these things go into effect. So what you do as far as buying food, you know, it, you could buy it one week and it could start to, you know, inch up. And the thing is, is that you don't dress. It doesn't happen so drastically that you you panic when you go to the grocery store. It happens over time. A five cents here, 10 cents there, packages get smaller, all that kind of stuff. But it happens over time. By the time you know it, it's like, man, I'm spending the same amount of money that I was a year ago and I'm not bringing home the same amount of food. And so that's something to always consider and think about. And maybe something where you start really looking at sales and you start shopping sales and you start making menus and being purposeful about how you yeah, you cook at home and different things like that. All right, so let's jump to the next one. The next one is a cottage industry business. 
Many major disaster scenarios are serious enough that they affect the world in which we live in, as well as the economy. Rather than just investing in things, think about investing in the skills, knowledge, and tools to make a go of it. If your current job falls apart, you don't want an internet business here, but rather something that you do with your hands. Repair businesses could be an excellent choice as they do extremely well after a financial collapse. Many of the old trades would do well after the loss of the grid. Ideally, you want some sort of business which will provide an income after as many types of disasters as possible. Start with the skills you currently have and look what might work well for you. All right, I completely agree about having a, some kind of business. You know that I talk about that. I've written a book on that. You know, the, the Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. I believe that everybody should have a microbiz. Um, and so I understand he's saying here about the internet. And so if the grid goes down, yeah, that's gonna, you're gonna have more issues than your little micro business there. But if you need to increase your, your money right now, your finances, there are ways to do that. And so with a laptop and, a, and Wi-Fi, you can increase your finances. But then you can also do other things. You can uh, make crafts. You can sell things like that. And then you can build things if you have that skill. Add to your skill, right? Maybe you have a micro biz that is focused on internet stuff, but then you're able to add to your skills and maybe you're able to you know take some classes on building and, and constructing and things like that and that would help you if you needed that in a poop hit the fan scenario and then having tools he doesn't talk about tools in this one i think tools are a great investment because if the poop did hit the fan you're not going to have your home depots and in your lows and, and your walmarts to go buy tools at you're going to have or your amazons you're going to just have what you have on hand and if you just have a screwdriver or a basic plier you know that's all you have well that's kind of be all that's all you're stuck with so i believe tools is a good investment as well. But having skills and being able to put that into practice, there's a lot of time that we waste just sitting down watching TV, doing stupid stuff like that. We, we could be a little bit more purposeful and bring in some money for our families. So, all right, you know how I feel about that one. I think everyone should do that. doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can be involved in some kind of business. All right, so the next one is alcohol. People will hang on to their vices, feeding them more than they will hold on to their most basic needs. In this, I think that Maslow's hierarchy of needs is wrong. People will feed their vices even at the cost of their lives. That's why alcoholics and drug addicts spend the money they need for food and heat to feed their addictions. But you don't have to be an alcoholic to want alcohol. People drink and use drugs to escape their problems. So in a time of severe problems, many will trade away the food they need just to get a drink. That makes alcohol one of the most powerful barter goods there is. And guys, people, you, you, you know, back in the day during Prohibition, people would run moonshine and run, you know, alcohol and they would do all that. And so there's always going to be a way of doing that. Um, I think it's more of a lost skill. I mean, I know that there's people that still do it. And, uh, and when I say a lost skill, a lost skill in being able to do it without any power or electricity. And then remember, you're still going to need uh, the materials to make it. But I think that's pretty valid there. Now, I don't necessarily agree with the next one, but let's go ahead and read it. It's tobacco. 
Now, tobacco is like alcohol in that it is a vice. People smoke to deal with stress, and in a post-disaster world, there will be plenty of stress. Having a stock of tobacco on hand could be extremely valuable, perhaps even more so than silver. I wouldn't recommend investing in cigarettes as they can go stale. Rather, invest in raw tobacco and rolling papers. If people want to smoke, they'll learn to roll their own. Now, ultimately, tobacco isn't that hard to grow. Tobacco used to be one of the major you know, crops that they grew back in, you know, when the United States or when uh, the settlers came to North America, right? And so that was one of uh, the things that they did. However, in a poop hit the fan situation, I just don't know if people would be, that would be the first thing that they would be going after. Yeah, people who uh, are, you know, that need nicotine and all that, they're going to have some serious withdrawals. But I think that the stress and all the other things that are going on will help to mitigate that a little bit. I don't I don't know. Um, that's just me saying that. I don't know it's going to be that big of a deal. If I was not a smoker, I would not be counting on tobacco as an investment. I definitely would not be doing that. And I don't necessarily agree with the next one. The next one is coffee. There are even more coffee addicts in the world than there are alcoholics and smokers. If you want something that people are going to be lusting after, willing to trade just about anything away for, this might be the golden ticket. Just about anyone is going to want coffee. Now, whole beans will store better than ground coffee, even if you're keeping it in airtight containers. That means having a grinder on hand as well so that you can grind their coffee for them. All right, so um, the beans that he's talking about, whole beans here, he's talking about green coffee beans. That's what you want. If you're going to store coffee for long-term food storage or long-term storage, you want green coffee beans. You just don't want to get roasted coffee beans because once they get roasted, the oils, uh, you know, the oils start coming out and then you start, you know, the time, uh, the expiration or at least the ability for it to taste like you want it to taste and have that aroma and that flavor starts ticking, right? So you want green coffee beans. They will last for a long, long time. And then you roast them yourself. That's what you're going to be shooting for. But I don't think that it would be a good investment because I think if you're a coffee drinker, you're going to want to drink that coffee. Now, I've talked a little bit about this before. You might need to do a little bit of an experimentation as far as, okay, you had some coffee, like for instance, today's coffee. If you realize we were in a poop hit the fan situation and we were going to have to wean ourselves off of coffee because we know that, you know, we don't want to just get to the day like, oh, that was the last scoop of coffee. There's no more coffee. And so tomorrow we're going to have a crazy caffeine headache. You don't want that right in the middle of the poop at the fan. So if you know you are limited because coffee, you can't grow coffee in North America. It, you know, coffee is the biggest importer. It used to be the second biggest import from uh you know into the united states now i believe it's probably number one because the first one used to be oil but now since we've been pushing oil out everywhere i bet coffee is number one so it, it gets brought in from central america well actually from all over the place but it, we don't necessarily grow it here there might be some places i know people have talked about it growing it in some um, zones in florida that might be a possibility, but you're not. There's no way that's going to be enough to be able to, you know, find its way up to wherever you are. So, if you are in a poop hit the fan situation with the coffee that you have on hand, even if you have it stored up, 
eventually you need to get to the point where, okay, I need to wean myself off of this. So for instance, today's coffee, I might use half of that to, you know, put that in my compost pile and the other half I will mix with another half of coffee to make my pot. And then I would slowly start doing that so that I would be getting less and less caffeine every single day, eventually getting to the point where I might be reusing the coffee grounds that I have in the coffee pot for one or two days. And then just there's nothing left, right? When you get to that final coffee, you know, the coffee grounds where there's nothing left. And I don't know. So that's something that I've thought about. I don't know. Have you ever thought about that situation? Because you don't want to be caught in a situation where you don't have caffeine or you've been used to drinking caffeine and then all of a sudden you go cold turkey. That is not fun at all. So maybe someone out there can do a little bit of experimentation and see what that's like. I would be very interested in that. All right. So next up is ammunition. Some have said that ammunition will become the common coin in a post-disaster world, especially a post-EMP world. There will clearly be shortages even with all the people who have already built stockpiles of ammo. Concentrate on calibers that are useful for hunting and self-defense. Probably the most popular caliber for trade will be the 22 long rifle. All right, I really don't know what that would look like. I, you know, we can't really look to Venezuela or Russia and say, you know, hey, what have you been using? Because they don't have the firearms like like we do, right? It's not it's not as big a part of their society, their culture as it is here in America. And so I really don't know if that would be the case or not. I can see um, why the 22 long rifle would be one specifically for you know, hunting, right? And so you, you take your 22 rifle out there and you're hunting squirrel or you're hunting something that, you know, your family can eat rabbit or whatever. And I can see that, um, you know, where, the, where that would come from. I just don't know about any of the other calibers. That's just kind of up for grabs. I think that's just kind of a, a guess that people throw out there. Um, if you have any thoughts on that, feel free to come over to the podcast. You know, I always have the link to the episode in the show notes. You can click on it and come over and drop me a line in the comment section to let me know what you think. Okay, next up is gasoline. Gasoline is difficult as it doesn't store well for prolonged periods of time. The more volatile hydrocarbons tend to evaporate off and there is some oxidation of other components of the gasoline. Adding a fuel stabilizer to the gas can extend the life, but then only to about a year. If you can store your gasoline in sealed metal containers, it will last longer than it will in plastic gas cans. I've kept gasoline in a sealed steel barrel for over a year without problems, and that was without adding fuel stabilizers to it. Even so, I would consider gasoline only a short-term investment as it won't last forever. You'll want to cash in on this investment faster than others. And so you could look at it that way as an investment. There would be people like if the poop hit the fan, people would want to run their generators and things like that. However, I don't know if I would use this as an investment. I would probably, if I had gasoline, I would store it. I would be storing it for my, uh, you know, for my generator, which would be used really early on because when people, when the poop really starts hitting the fan, People will hear the generator for miles around and they will want to get in on your electricity or come and take your your generator. And then, you know, you've really let everybody know what you have. And so I don't know. I just that's not something that I would really look into. All right. Then you have toilet paper. 
There have always been alternatives to toilet paper. In the pioneering days, they used corn cobs and the Sears and Roebuck catalog. Guys, just thinking about that, that just, ugh, okay. But for those of us who have grown up accustomed to toilet paper, making that switch will be difficult. I'd say that it would be even more difficult for women. This one is a bit of a gamble, but I think that toilet paper will become highly valuable in a post-disaster world. You just might want a few extra cases over and above what your family is going to use, that is. All right, so if you are new to the podcast, you know how I feel about toilet paper. I think that's going to be one of those things that you do not want to skimp. You don't want to skimp on it now. And can you imagine what it would be like in the, you know, in the apocalypse, right? So if you can store store as much as you can have some other ideas like having a bidet having some water bottles that you can spray and you know all that kind of stuff i've talked about that before in the in the past maybe you can come over to the website and do a search for toilet paper and find you know where i've talked about that in the past however i would not be using this as an investment more than likely i'm stocking this up i'm going to be using it and uh, for me it's an investment in myself so anyway, that's just that's just my two cents there. And you can think about that for a little bit. You know what? If you don't think that I'm making any sense there, then go get some corn cobs and go find an old Sears and Robux. You probably won't be able to find any of those, but go find an old magazine and use that for a while. Use that for two or three days and come back and tell me, you know, how you feel about that, how using corn cobs and using magazines and other kind of paper other than toilet paper on your butt during the apocalypse, you know, during good times, much less during the apocalypse. And remember, you know, in Venezuela, that was one of the first things to go. It was like diapers, feminine hygiene products and toilet paper, you know, and then and then after that, it started started rolling really, really quickly. So anyway, <laughs> that's just my two cents that always comes up. And I'm like, I don't think people really think about that. You know, uh, and so just uh, putting it out there, keeping it real. All right. So the last one is seeds. If it comes down to a long term survival after a Tiawaki event, probably one of the most important things to own will be seed. Not only will you need it so that you can plant a large vegetable garden and grow food for yourself and your family, but everyone else will need it, too. They're also going to need your knowledge about gardening so that they can get their gardens going and feed their families. This is probably only a short-term investment, but could have big returns. I say it's short-term because once they grow their own crops, they can harvest the seed as well. So you shouldn't have people coming back to you for the next growing season looking for more seed. All right, guys, I think seeds are very valuable. I know I have mentioned it before in one of uh, James Rawls's books, and I believe it was Survivors, um, the first or Patriot, Patriots. Um, I think so. I mean, it's been a while. But anyway, one of the uh, the grandmothers, right, tells uh, the daughter or it was a mother, an older mother tells the daughter to start stocking up on some of these things and she starts stocking up on seeds. And because she does, she's able to start a store. And that's kind of always, you know, kind of always stuck with me. And so I would highly guard against going out and buying one of these, you know, survival seed banks. I, you know, if you do that, make sure that it's one that is specific to your zone. 
but you can always go to you know, Home Depot and Lowe's, even Walmart or any other place that sells seeds. And you can buy little packages for, you know, for very, very cheap. And you can, you, you can stock them up, you know? Yeah, it's going to be a thing where at some point the seeds are not going to be as viable, but they're going to be viable for a long, long time. And so if you feel that things start getting out of control and you want to be thinking this way, then you can always make a trip down to, you know, to the store and pick up some seeds just in case you're really not out a whole lot. And if you do, uh, if they, if you do need them, you're going to be like a rock star. People are going to love you for that. All right, guys, just to finish this off, what I would say here is when you're thinking about this topic and you're, and even bartering comes into mind here, don't go out buying things that in your mind, you would say this would be a great barter item. Don't do that. First, stock up yourself, stock up for your family, stock up for your extended family. Buy the things that you normally would buy and buy more of those things. Because if you ever get to a barter situation, then you would use those things because the things that you need for your family are going to be the same things that other people are going to need for their families. And so it would be smart to be able to have some extra soap, right? People are going to want soap. People are going to want shampoo. People are going to want some food items and different things like that. So just stock up on more of those when it comes to, you know, coming from this frame of mind, but put a little bit of thought into it. Some tangible goods, you know, that things that you can use that, you know, you're going to be able to use no matter what could be very, very valuable. And so I'm just going to leave you with that. Well, guys, like always, I'm going to link to this article in the show notes and you can come check it out over at askaprepper.com. You can click on some of the links. There's a lot of comments. I think the last time I checked it, there were 88 comments. And so you can come in and see what people are saying and follow their ideas. And sometimes you learn just as much from the comments as you do from the article itself. Well, that's it for episode 577. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. You can head on over to the prepperwebsitepodcast.com or search for our podcast in your search function in your podcast catcher. We're on all of them. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a link in the show notes so that you can join the Prepper website email list. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.